I am Dr. Barbara Kiel, and some clients of mine prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. And to be honest, I quite like it. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health efficacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, and to make a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also believe mental health education is key, and that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest. In your own mental health. Let's face it, we all need to learn how our minds work, and have the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. And more importantly, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with and support each other. Strong, empathetic. Nurturing and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. Today is adverse childhood experiences and human needs part two. Last week we covered three schools of thought on basic human needs, and today I am going to explain further what is the correlation between trauma, particularly with childhood trauma, adverse childhood experiences, and how it can affect our mental health. And more importantly, at the end of this episode, you will be able to understand why it's so important to know and understand our needs, and if they are not being met, how it can affect our mental health as well. And before I begin, let's set the energy of this episode together. You may wish. To put your hand on your heart and close your eyes, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. So take a deep breath in, and as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your past go. Now take a moment. To plug into the greater energy of the universe, feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light. And know that you are safe. All is well, and so it is. So take another deep breath in. Hold it for five seconds, and exhale out with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. 
Let me share a vignette with you. I call this case Jack and Jill. Of course, they are all pseudo names. Jack is a thirty-year-old British national, born and bred, and he has worked in Switzerland and China, where he first met Jill. Jill is also a pseudo name. She is a twenty-nine-year-old Chinese national, also born and bred, and she studied in Edinburgh for three years whilst Jack was working in Zurich. They have been living together for the past two years, ever since Jack was transferred back to Shanghai from Switzerland. However, they have been together on and off. For seven years. Now let's take a look at their individual story. Jack is an investment advisor. He is the oldest by two years of two male children. He describes his father as a selfish, stubborn, moody, and aggressive man who traveled a lot due to his job as a regional engineer for a multinational firm. When the father was home, the atmosphere in the house would be tense and unhappy. His father would drink a lot and become verbally abusive. He remembers his parents fighting and shouting, and when he was only four, they divorced. He remembers he threw an object at his father the day the divorce announcement was made. And the object hit his father in between the eyes, and in turn, his father slapped him so hard that he passed out and had to be sent to a hospital. When I ask Jack to use an adjective to describe his present relationship with his father, he replied, "Civil." Jack thinks his mother is sensitive, eager to please, weak. And would sacrifice anything for him and his brother. He also said he is close to his mother, and that he could do no wrong in his mother's eyes, but he feels he has been caring for her since he was young, and he resents that. So, what about Jill's story? Jill is a fashion model. She is the product of China's one-child policy. Her father is a heavy smoker, drinker, and gambling addict. And Jill saw her parents fought constantly until she was seven, when they decided to separate. Jill's relationship with her father is better now that he has melanoma, because she feels obliged to forgive. Her parents did not divorce until she is fourteen, and although she speaks of her mother with deep affection, Jill said it was not always like that. Her mother has been seeing a married man for two decades now, and she said at first she felt upset and ashamed. Her first childhood memory is when she was five. Her parents forgot to pick her up. From daycare, and she waited for hours before her grandmother came to her rescue. That was the first of many repeated similar incidents. 
So, what is Jack and Jill's story in couples counseling? The main reason for them to seek couple counseling is because their constant fighting has escalated to physical violence. They both admitted they allowed the fight to escalate to Jill smashing things and destroying properties. Jack would then throw Jill's things out of the apartment and once slapped her across the face when she kicked him. Jack accused Jill of infidelity whilst he was in Zurich, and she said it does not count as cheating because they were separated. And she mentioned they have broken up so many times that she cannot even keep track. So when I ask Jack and Jill what they expect to achieve in the couple's counseling, Jill says she wishes Jack would stop judging her and instead listen to her and to understand her feelings and to feel loved and be an equal partner. She feels she has not been respected by Jack and that she has no rights in their relationship. Jack replies that he would like Jill to appreciate all that he does for her instead of being negative all the time, which makes him feel he could never do enough or be enough. He wishes her to contain her anger and jealousy. He says that he would also like Jill to be more proactive in their daily life and not as he presently feels. She does not care and expects him to be in charge of everything. At this point, Jill confessed to be addicted to alcohol, and Jack still hasn't admitted to anything. But he did address that he wishes to cut down on his drinking. Jill also accused him of working too much, possibly a workaholic. Well, my audience, it is obvious that um, with Jack and Jill's case, you can see that they both have experienced some kind of adverse childhood experiences and trauma. Now, if you don't, don't worry. I will circle back to their case. As soon as I have shared with you about the biology of meat, yes, like I mentioned last week, I really do not believe that we talk enough about human needs. So here I am. Let's talk the biology of needs. Whether you realize it or not, physically, we strive for inner balance. Infants tend to identify their survival needs through physical sensations and cravings such as hunger, thirst, warmth, cold, satisfaction, and irritation. Remember the first level of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, physiological needs? That's what it is. So it is from the very beginning, right? 
as babies feel discomfort and cry out until there is a soothing response from another person, most likely that would be the caretaker. When their needs are met, they feel comfort and balance again until the next need presents itself. Life feels good, they feel safe and cared for. Babies experience trust in themselves, others, life, and the world. Emotional security, therefore, develops. So this is how it goes in an ideal situation. First, needs derive from some kind of sensations, such as pain indicates a need. For instance, hunger. Then it leads to actions. That means reaches out to others. So the baby may cry or a toddler throws a tantrum and hoping to get a response. Now, if the baby or toddler receives satisfaction, meaning baby gets fed and the toddler get the toy that he or she wants, then the need has been satisfied. So the balance, they feel balanced again, and that means that will develop inner trust, trusting self, others, and life. Of course, in an ideal world, that child will carry all that positive balance and emotions into their adulthood and into their relationships. And that's when we talk about love, meaning romantic relationships. Basis for mature love feels content and whole. Unfortunately, for whatever reasons, parental care is inadequate, needs are not met, and discomfort escalates. So our parents could not always be there as our needs arose, right? That's a fact. Let's be realistic. Sometimes we were separated from our parents and we are cared for by people who seemed strange to us as babies. We now know that babies instinctively know that if certain needs are not met, they will not survive. That means they will die. So in such situations, panic sets in. So when this happens, meaning after crying for a long time for milk and there is no response, or a cry to be picked up because there's a need for affection. So when there is no response to that cry out, Discomfort escalates, panic felt, sensation suppressed, meaning no balance. Then what will they develop? They will develop distrust about self, no inner trust, not trusting others, and life. And unfortunately, these are bases for predisposition toward addictive love.
the recollections of such fearful times are then recorded in our nervous systems. We don't ever want to experience such helpless panic again. My audience, imagine this: those infants and toddlers became adults now, and they too may be unconsciously convinced that they will suffer intense, often irrational fear and panic when someone rejects or leaves them, such as breakups. Or you did not get the audition, or the job that you wanted. So, despairing adults seem to forget that they can now take care of themselves, that they can solve most of their problems alone. We, as adults, have the capacity to think, and can therefore postpone needs. Problem solved to get our needs met, or meet our own needs. Often, what we perceive as a need is merely a want, and something we can survive without. So now let me circle back to Jack and Jill's case. We know that when Jack was four, he got the news that his parents are going to divorce. And that alone is traumatic for a four-year-old child. Number one. Number two, he was slapped by his father and ended up in a hospital. Trauma number two. He also witnessed his parents' constant fighting and yelling at each other. And so did Jill. Now, at this point, I would like to hit the pause button and explain something to you, my audience. Particularly if you are parenting your children or you are planning to be parents in the near future, it is frightening, extremely frightening, and scary for children to witness their parents fight and yell at each other. Why is that? Because they consider Their parents as the two pillars of their world, and could you imagine if one of the pillars or both pillars in their eyes are arguing? Then that means their world is going to collapse. And if the two pillars collapse, that means their world is going to collapse. And when their world is going to collapse, that means they are going to end up dead. So please, please. Please do not fight, yell, argue in front of your children. Don't ever, ever, ever do that in front of your children if you truly love them. Now, having said that, doesn't mean that if you give each other cold shoulder, stonewalling, silent treatment, it's better, because it's not. All right, it's just as bad because. Your children can sense the negative energy from the both of you, just like Jack said. When his father was home, the atmosphere in the house would be tense and unhappy. Similar to Jack, Jill, when she was five, she was left alone at her daycare, and that is neglect from the parents. And neglect is a form of abuse. Trauma number one. And the worst part of it all, similar incidents continue to repeat itself. 
In other words, not only did she not get the attention that she needed at such a tender age, the abuse was repeated over and over. She has been traumatized over and over again. While all these were going on, she witnessed her mother with a married man. Well, it can be frightening, if not confusing, for a young child. My dear audience, it is important to know that children learn by observing. So save your breath. What they do is observe whatever you model to them. They learn. So I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say it is not surprising that Jack and Jill ended up in a domestic, violent, and abusive relationship. So, my audience, based on what I shared last in this episode, do you think Jack and Jill received the response and satisfaction that they needed as young children? Did they get the balance that they needed in order to trust themselves, others, and life in general, so that they feel content, whole, and therefore have the capacity to create respectful, nurturing, empathetic, and loving relationship with each other. And my audience. Let me leave you with these final questions. Do you now see and understand why Jack and Jill ended up in my consultation room? Do you think when they are young they received appropriate amount of attention, affection, appreciation, acceptance, and allowance from their parents? What do you think, my audience? Until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. You can find this podcast, to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O dot com. Mm-hmm.